Acts 10.34. This is kind of in the heart of what I'll get to later. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. God loves everyone and everyone can come to him. What a great illumination. He had a revelation in a moment when he might have needed it earlier. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to continue the theme from last Wednesday night about attitudes and acts. Now, I know attitudes, we tend to think of the negative attitudes, and I'll focus a little bit on that tonight. Last Wednesday night, we did a basic review of the book of Acts, the author, the date, its pivotal place in the New Testament between the Gospels and Epistles, those letters written to the church. I talked about the author, Luke, and the connection between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. Luke is all that Jesus began both to do and teach until he ascended into heaven. Acts is what Jesus continues to do by the Holy Ghost through the church. The book is not so much the actions of the apostles as it is the actions of the Holy Ghost through the entire body of Christ. Acts gives us the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. And the key word is witness. It's mentioned 17 times. There was a geographical expansion from Jerusalem to Rome. And then there were the implications of that expansion cultural, sociological, religious, and all the factors. And we'll get into some of that tonight. The purpose of the book of Acts to me, and I didn't make this up by the way, but is to show the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. So Acts gives us barriers that were overcome by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about the external persecution which happened over and over. There was internal sin, internal strife. There were continued challenges throughout the book. But by far the greatest challenge that I see in the book of Acts was the mentality of the people of God. It was their attitudes that they struggled with and were challenged by. At the end of The message last Wednesday night, I spoke about a conversation I had with Brother Robert Trapani years ago, and he said, you can cast out the devil, but you can't cast out a personality. So you cannot cast out a way that people think, the way people process information, their point of view, their prejudices, their biases, their insecurities cannot be overcome instantaneously It's the work of the Spirit and it's the work of education and a willingness to change. So I want to focus tonight on some of the attitudes that existed in the book of Acts. And then perhaps next week I'll talk about some healthy attitudes. I was thinking of this and I've really never done this but I I searched and I think there's at least 66 people mentioned by name in the book of Acts. We're not going to study every one of them but that's a lot of people mentioned by name in the book of Acts, a lot of personalities that were discussed in the book and a lot of healthy attitudes that existed in the early church. So let's talk about some of these obstacles 
that needed to be overcome with the mentality of the people. Now, when I make comments about the Jewish nation or the Jewish people, I am pro-Israel. I believe that Old Testament, they are the people of God. He will turn back to them nationally. And that whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you can come to God by faith. Because a person is Jewish by nationality, by heritage, by bloodline, does not mean that they cannot come to faith. For the Bible said that blindness in part has happened to the Jews till the fullness of the Gentiles come in. We were grafted into that original stump. The wild olive tree is who we are, according to the Bible. And the Jews were that original branch. So I'm speaking of national Israel, the attitudes that prevailed among people in the early church. But these barriers were not insurmountable. They were overcome by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it was not without struggle. The expansion of the early church took place in four geographical areas of growth. Jesus spoke of this, Jerusalem, a city, Judea, a province in which Jerusalem sat, Samaria, the neighboring province, half Jew, half Gentile perhaps, these Samaritans, and then the uttermost part of the earth or the rest of the world. Uh, all the way through chapter 7, we're focused on Jerusalem. The beginning of chapter 8, we're breaking into Judea and Samaria. Judea is just mentioned in passing. Samaria, that revival led by Philip. And then the opening of the door of the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And the focus shifts from Jerusalem to the uttermost or the ends of the earth. Now, it was not just this geographical expansion to go from one place to another. It wasn't exactly concentric circles. But it was everything that happened when the gospel crossed a boundary or a cultural barrier. It was a resistance from within against those on the outside who wanted to get on the inside of the church and the people that struggled to let them in. It's interesting to see how the book of Acts starts. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 on the screens. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that one question underlies a lot of thinking in the entire book of Acts. In the minds of the Jews, Jesus was going to come, the Messiah. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. He was going to set up an earthly kingdom, and they were going to be the ruling empire of the world. They missed the scriptures that Jesus would come in his first appearing as a suffering servant, and later he would come as a ruling king. So they struggle with this idea and even after being with him for three and a half years approximately, being filled with the Holy Ghost, they were going to be filled with the Holy Ghost later, not yet in Acts 1, they're still asking and thinking it's all about us, it's all about Israel, it's all about the Jewish people. Is this the time when you're going to give it all back to us? And Jesus tells them that's not the point. You're going to be witnesses of me, and then Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. So this thinking was the source of many of the problems that were struggling, that they struggled with in the book of Acts and in the early church. While Judaism was a religion, 
It was also a Jewish nation and a Jewish culture. The Jews were under Roman rule, but they had a certain amount of autonomy or liberty to rule. They had their own rulers like King Herod. They had a Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. They had religious sects that existed then. Now Luke, the writer of Luke and Acts, was not a Jew. So he could write from a little bit of a more objective perspective about the Jewish mentality that was in the book of Acts. And these Jewish believers were struggling with the kingdom of God. Judaism was monotheism, believing that there is only one God for the entire world. And we believe that, amen? Hero Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. He's the Lord of all the earth. And that means if anybody in the entire earth wants to know Him, they can only know that one God and they have to come through the Bible that was in the Old Testament given to the Jewish people. So Judaism in its foundations was also universalism, that anybody could come to God through Him. There are many Old Testament prophecies. I want to refer to just a few briefly. I don't have time to dive into this. But... Abraham was told by God that in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 22, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you heard my voice or obeyed my voice. Isaiah 9 spoke about the land of the shadow of death that light would spring out. And in Isaiah 60, the Gentiles would come to his light. And in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, what a great Verse, from the rising of the sun till the going down of the same, the name of thy name shall be great among the Gentiles. What Malachi saw, that last book in the Old Testament, that from the east to the west, all around the world, that God's name was going to be glorified among all people all over the world. What a tremendous message was prophesied in the Old Testament. But the Jewish people, they knew that, they believed that. But they saw that if you wanted to get to God, you had to come through them. You had to become a Jew first. You could be a God-fearer, a full proselyte. But you would still be on, in the court of the Gentiles. You would be you know, at arm's distance. You couldn't really get that close. So you could come to God, but you had to come through Jewish Judaism. So the book of Acts takes a lot of space and devoted to this unfolding story of how the gospel breaks through this barrier of the mentality of the Jewish church. The Jews defined the scope of the kingdom of God in their own terms, which was both Jewish and nationalistic. And at the end of the book of Acts, we will see the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. So now let's kind of walk through some examples of that in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 16. So this is the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the Christian church. The apostle Peter has been given the keys to the kingdom of God by Jesus back in Matthew 16, 18. And now he is preaching and he is preaching the truth and he is quoting the Old Testament That brings us into the new. And a testament is a covenant that God makes with people. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, not just Jewish flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. Upon my servants and upon my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. He is preaching away. He preaches Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 39, For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off. And when he said afar off, they understood that that meant Gentiles. That meant non-Jews, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, if you would think that if the Apostle Peter preached that, that he really got that. He perceived it. He, he, he just got it. But he didn't. He really didn't. Because we're almost a third of the way through the book of Acts, more, more than a third of the way through the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter is down in Joppa. He's at Simon the Tanner's house. And to be a tanner, some said, was to be ceremonial unclean. He's, he's staying there. It's lunchtime. And he's hungry, but he's praying. He's up on the rooftop. He's a thorough Jew. And he is praying. But before something happens to the Apostle Peter, God is working on the other end of the line on a Gentile named Cornelius. This man is one who feared God, a God-fearer, a, at least a partial proselyte to Judaism. He prays, he gives alms always. And while he is praying one day, God gives him a vision about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the Lord shows him that his prayers and alms have come up as a memorial for God, that he is to send to Joppa. Now, let me just pause here to say, I know God speaks to saints, but God speaks to people who are hungry for him. And as I studied this, it's not my main theme tonight, but I'll revisit this a few times perhaps, but primarily in this story, as I was reading through these passages again, I thought how amazing it was that God was at work on the most unlikely person in Peter's mind. The Lord gives him a name, gives him a city, tells him where he's staying. Simon the Tanner, the city of Joppa, a man named Peter, go there. He's going to tell you words of what you ought to do. Now, it's interesting that God could have told Cornelius how to be saved. But he has delegated that to us. Do you think if God could have said, Joppa, Simon the Tanner's house, Simon Peter, don't you think God could have said, repent and be baptized? But there's a role for us to play. Cornelius immediately sends for Simon Peter. Now remember, I left him back there. Um, he is praying at noon. He's very hungry. And uh, the Lord shows him a vision. And in this vision, there's a sheet that is let down from heaven. And it has all kind of unclean animals in it. I don't know if it was, to a Jewish person, if it was full of pigs and 
you know, porcupines and I don't know what exactly was in that, but it was all kinds of things, four-footed beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Maybe there was a bat in there. I don't know. Things that Jews didn't eat. And the Lord, in this vision, says, kill and eat. And Simon Peter, a good Jew, says, there is no way. I'm not doing that, Lord. Nothing common or unclean has ever come in my mouth. And the second time it happened, and the third time it happened, and this sheet, this vessel, was, kind of went back up into heaven. And Peter is trying to figure out, this is Acts 10, 17 now, what in the world is going on here? And while he's doing that, there's a knock at Simon the Tanner's door, and the men that Cornelius sent are there, and they're asking for Simon Peter. That's pretty incredible if you think about the timing of God. Peter's thinking on this vision. He's hungry. But then the Lord says to him, there are three men that are looking for you here. Go down. He's up on the rooftop. Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, the apostle Peter, who's a Jew and he doesn't hang out with Gentiles, He's making some progress because in Acts 21, he invites them in, asks them why they're there. They tell them his mission, what happened to Cornelius. He lets them stay there for the night. And the next day they get up and they go from Joppa to Caesarea to Cornelius' house. And when he gets there, Cornelius, who is a captain over a hundred men, in the Roman army, he's a very powerful man. He falls down at this Jewish man's feet and worships him. Look at the humility of a man who has a lot higher station in life than Simon Peter in their culture. Peter says, don't do that. I'm a man just like you. And So they have a conversation and uh, Cornelius tells him what happened to him and Peter knows what's happened to him. In verse 28, I want to go to verse 28 of Acts 10. Peter tells them, you know that it is an unlawful thing, ceremonially, not by the Roman law, but by Jewish law. It is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation but God. So you think about what he's struggling with. Remember what he preached in Acts chapter 2. He meant every word of it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but now he's got a lot of cultural baggage he's struggling with, and he's doing his best, he's trying. But just remember, this is not an instantaneous act. The Lord can speak to him, show him a vision, but he is still working through centuries of prejudice, mentality, mindset, attitudes, that he is having a very difficult time. But God, he said, showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He got the interpretation of the vision. Therefore, I came to you without gainsaying. I didn't hang around. And now I want to know, why did you invite me here? So Cornelius re rehearses what happened to him, that God had spoken to him. And then Acts 10, 33. Immediately, therefore, Cornelius says, I sent to thee, and you have done well that you are come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Now Cornelius, he's a wealthy, powerful man. 
And household back then didn't mean a husband and wife and their 1.8 children. It meant servants, employees, close relatives. Cornelius has a bunch of people there and they're all ears waiting to hear what Simon Peter is going to say. And the first thing the Apostle Peter says in Acts 10.34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I want to say finally, of a truth, finally, not supposed to add to, so I shouldn't do that. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't look on the person, you know, your status, your race, your culture, your background. But in every nation, even among you Roman people, he that feareth him, these Italians, and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. So the apostle Peter gets a, an illumination, a revelation, as some people might say, it is now beginning to sink in on him. Well, I'm going to pause right now because I know you can read the Bible and you're following along peacefully here with this story. But I want to stop right now and say that you may not even know how you're messed up in your thinking. Man, I'm sure I don't know how I'm messed up in the way I think about some things. Remember the disciples told Jesus to call down fire from heaven and they thought Jesus was going to applaud them and pat them on the back. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to kill, to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. You think that I'm really happy with the way you're thinking, but I'm not happy with the way you're thinking. The apostle Paul wreaked havoc on the churches, took people to jail, caused them to blaspheme, stood there while they were put to death. And he thought he was doing God a service by trying to stamp out Christianity. He was convinced he was right, but he was dead wrong. So I wonder if the Lord could show us a vision. If the Lord could knock on the door of our hearts and he could really talk to us where we messed up about our concept of, of a believer's role in the church, of the role of the church in the world, of the revival that God wants to send, a net-breaking, boat-sinking revival that He promised. Amen? A revival of all flesh. Amen. The Apostle Peter is having a major breakthrough. And now for the very first time that we know of, Full Gentiles are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost while Peter is still preaching. Here's why I believe this happened. They didn't lay hands on the Gentiles because that would have been a little awkward for them. I know you're thinking that's weird, but he knew he wasn't even supposed to go to their house. And, and the Apostle Peter could have get blamed for praying them through to the Holy Ghost. He's still preaching. He hasn't even given an altar call. The musicians have not even come yet. There's no worship team on the platform. How can this happen? He spake the word, Acts 10, 44. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They had the circumcision, Jewish men, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because they were astonished, by the way, their minds were blown. They didn't expect this. 
even though Peter preached it, even though I'm sure these six men that came with Peter knew why they were there, they were astonished because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? How did they know they received it? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then after the Lord gave them the Holy Ghost first, Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. God gave them the Holy Ghost. God cleansed them with the Spirit. We need to do our part and baptize them in Jesus' name. And He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they prayed them. They asked Him to stick around for several days. Now, this is a major breakthrough. And remember my topic. The greatest barrier to the spreading of the gospel in the book of Acts, in my view, based on what the Bible says itself, was not persecution, wasn't sinning saints, wasn't struggles and disagreements that people had. It was the thick head, heads of His people. Good people, godly people, Holy Ghost filled people, baptized in Jesus' name people, but people with baggage from hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries and millennium, they thought that way. Now the Apostle Peter, I want to drop this in here, Later in the book of Galatians, Paul confronts Peter. The apostle Peter goes down and he's visiting some Gentiles and he's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. He's already gotten over, you know, Acts 10. But while he's there eating, some Jewish Christians come. James and some other brothers come. And when Peter sees them coming, knows that they're coming, he walks away from those Gentile Christians and disassociates himself with them. And Paul said, I confronted him before all of them. I'm just telling you that some attitudes die hard, even when we think we're over it. Now I'm amazed, I'm so amazed at the hard work that the church did in trying to keep this church together. Because it wasn't an easy thing at all. It was very, very hard work. Now, after the Apostle Peter gets in a little bit of trouble later, when these Gentiles receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Apostle Peter gets in trouble for this. In Acts chapter 11, he goes to Jerusalem and these leaders there confront him and they said, they were, they were contending with him, Acts 11, 2. And they said, you went into men who were uncircumcised and you ate with them. Peter's probably thinking, I did more than eat with them. I, I saw them receive the Holy Ghost and I baptized them. So he rehearsed the whole matter, told them what happened and how Cornelius had seen an angel and he had a vision and it wasn't my fault. I was just preaching and God gave them the Holy Ghost. Don't blame it on me. And who was I? God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I, I had to baptize him. That's kind of the approach that he has to take. And finally, after all that, they held their peace and they glorified God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Acts 11. And they said, oh, then have God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Hallelujah. It's dawning on us. Acts eleven nineteen on the screens. 
Now, this is a little bit of a throwback verse. It's sort of like meanwhile back at the ranch. But I want you to see this verse, Acts eleven nineteen. Then they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Are you kidding me? Don't you know what Peter preached? Don't you know what happened in Acts 10? But now it's still, you know, this is painful to read. You have to kind of take a deep breath when I read this again, you know. But my subject is attitudes and acts, and there were plenty of them to struggle with. So now I want to go to Acts 15, which is commonly called the Jerusalem Council. Barnabas and Paul have been preaching, and Gentiles are being saved everywhere outside of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. But there are some men, Acts 15, 1, they come down and they tell, they start teaching these converts, except you are circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. You know what they were saying? Acts 2.38 plus Judaism equals salvation. Obey the gospel and become a Jew and you can go to heaven. These teachers are called Judaizers. They are, the book of Galatians addresses them. The apostle Paul does. They're teaching people that law plus grace equals salvation. And that's why Paul said, you did run well. Who did hinder you? You started in the spirit. Are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? You're going back. What in the world are you doing? That's what's happening here. So now they're passing through and now Paul and Barnabas are talking about the conversion of the Gentiles and Peter is seeing Gentiles saved and they come to the church and they tell God, tell what God is doing, Acts 15, 5. On the screens. But there rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This is Acts 15. Ladies, we're halfway through the book of Acts, right? 28 chapters. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. In verse 7 There had been much disputing. They are arguing about Gentiles getting saved. All right? Without obeying the Old Testament law. And the apostle Peter rose up and he said unto them, Men and brethren, you know that how good while ago, back in Acts 10, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe it. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. He kind of knocks them down a notch or two. We think we're really special, but there's not a Gentile Holy Ghost and a Jewish Holy Ghost. There's not an American Holy Ghost and a non-American Holy Ghost. There's not a rich Holy Ghost and a poor Holy Ghost. Even as he did us. Verse 9. Think about how these next words stung. And put no difference between us and them. Are you? Like that hurts to them. Purifying their hearts by faith, not by the law. Now therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear, but we believe 
that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. He flips it around. He said, God has saved them, and the only way we're going to be saved is by the grace of God, the same thing that saved all these Gentiles. He has shaken them up. That all the multitude kept silence, and then that Barnabas and Paul, they step up. And they start talking about the miracles and the wonders that God had used them to perform among the Gentiles. And then James, who seems to be the the leader, we would say he's like the general superintendent, the bishop, he's the half-brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John. He was killed in Acts 12. And he says, you know, men and brethren, listen to me, okay? Quiet down, we're having a pretty hot debate right here. Simon told us how God visited the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree to this. Oh, if you look back, the Old Testament told us this was going to happen. And he spoke about the tabernacle of David, that the residue of men might seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who call upon my name, they're going to be saved. And he said, you know what? We don't need to trouble them who among the Gentiles have turned to the Lord. And he gave them some things that they should abide by while they're growing in the Lord. Four things that Gentiles needed to know. And he makes a decision and it brings resolution and peace. It pleases the apostles and the elders. And now it looks like things have settled down. Fifteen chapters in, we now have an official ruling by the church that we're going to give these Gentiles time. They don't have centuries of an Old Testament They're coming out of a pagan world. By the way, those of us, I'm raising my hand, raised in church, we know a lot of stuff on accident. doesn't make us better. There's a lot of things I know that I don't even know how I know it. But it was a Sunday school class and a a song and a sermon I heard while I was sleeping under the seat or something like that, right? But you think about people that are coming to God, not just today, but this is where we are today, They may not even believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They've never read the Bible. They've never felt the Holy Ghost. And look how long it's taken us to get wherever we are today. And we need to be patient with them and not throw the book at them at one time. That's what they figured out in Acts 15. Let's not require everything of them. Let's get the bare minimum and they'll grow in God. And it's not just those four things. The epistles are written to help them grow in God. In Acts 18 through 21, there's all these missionary journeys by Paul, a third missionary journey, and and Paul comes back to Jerusalem. And this is a mind-boggling passage, Acts 21. And he gets back to Jerusalem, and they receive Paul back from his third missionary journey. They're all excited about this, and James, the leader, is there, and They salute them and he tells them how God's been working a roadie rod among the Gentiles. He declared this particularly, the Bible said. He focused on the revival among the Gentiles. And they glorified the Lord. Praise God, Brother Paul, isn't that great? And then they said this. You know, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are that believe. Not Jews of the Old Testament, but Jewish Christians. All right? And he said, they're zealous after the law. They're still holding on to the law. 
and they're informed of you. And they have heard that you are teaching all the Jews that live out there among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. We don't know from this whether Paul was doing that or not. But we're in Acts 21, and they are hanging on for dear life to the Old Testament. Not the moral law, but the ceremonial law. And they say to Paul, what is it therefore? The multitudes, we need to get this church together. So here's what we want you to do. They're going to hear that you have come. They're going to see you as a troublemaker. And they did. They thought he had brought a Gentile named Trophimus into the temple. That was a false accusation. They said, here's what we have. We have four men. They're taking a Jewish vow. We want you to take this vow with them, a Jewish Old Testament vow. Shave your head, pay the charges for these vows, and we want everyone to know that, that the charges against you are nothing, but you yourself walk orderly and you keep the law. But as touching the Gentiles which believe, we've already written what they should do, and he repeats that, and Paul submits to bad advice. I think it's terrible advice. He obeys them. He is a great apostle, but he submits to his board. I'm going to say it like that. It's not really a board. Takes a vow, goes into the temple. They spend days there purifying. And at the end of this time, Paul is falsely accused, taken out of the temple, almost pulled in pieces, beaten to death, and from Acts 21 till the end of the book, on and off again, he's a prisoner, part of the Jews, the Roman government, all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And it is all part of God's plan. It doesn't make any sense for him to submit, but he does because he is a submitted man in his heart and God uses it to fulfill his will. Now when I read this in the light of Acts 1 and 6, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Then I realize the struggles that they had with the way they thought, their attitudes, their mentality was crazy. In the book of Acts, you know, part one all the way through chapter six, it's a Hebrew church, Christian Judaism. And then the gospel is spreading. And at the very end of the book of Acts, it is really triumph and tragedy that there is a growing Gentile church and there is the self-exclusion of the Jews. They start opting out. It is one of the saddest things. Now, the book of Acts has no formal ending. If you read through some of the books, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. And Paul writes a, a you know, benediction in his books. But the book of Acts has no formal ending, but it ends just as God intended it. In Acts 28, Paul is now in Rome, and he's allowed to dwell in his own house. He's got a soldier that guards him, but people can come and go and visit with him, and he can teach them. So he calls a lot of the Jews the chief Jews, together, and he talks to them about what God is doing. They said, you know, we've heard about this Christian sect, and, but we don't know very much about it. So we'll come back, and they arrange a time to come back. And Paul uses the Old Testament out of the law and the prophets. He proves that Jesus is the Messiah. He tells them about the Holy Ghost, this New Testament. And, I mean, he really preaches to them, and when he finishes it, they don't like it. 
They're struggling with this. I want to read it, Acts 28, 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them and concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning to evening, all day long. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, Isaiah is the prophet, unto our Father, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing you shall hear, you shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and not perceive. He said, For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and the ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Now I'm saying this to you. We're at the end of the book of Acts. The triumph of the gospel over every barrier. But I'm saying this because of I want to be the person who says, yes, Lord. I don't want to be the person whose eyes can't see, whose ears are dull. My heart is sluggish and cannot hear the voice of God. He said, be this known unto you, that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles and that they will hear it. This is more than just a single occasion. This is the conclusion of the book of Acts. And Paul is basically turning not just himself but away from national Israel and toward a Gentile revival. And when he had heard these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. This occurs in Rome. It has a word of finality. Last three verses of the book of Acts. Acts 28.30 And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And the last closing phrase of the book of Acts, no man forbidding him. The word in the Greek is unhindered or unhinderedly. The book of Acts begins with the hindrances, obstacles in the book of Acts. And God closes this book through the writing of Luke by saying that there is this unhindered preaching the gospel. There is triumph and tragedy. There is celebration of a Gentile revival. And there is the weeping. There is the mourning of the loss of the Gentile church. But the book of Acts closes with the triumph of the gospel spreading to the entire world. But what does this mean to you and me today? I want my heart to be open to God. I know... If these good people struggle with various issues, I'm sure that we struggle with things and we may not even know what they are. All these insights in the book of Acts are not there by accident. They're not there just to record the history of what happened then. They're written there because we're still people and we still have our issues and God has big things for His church if we can only believe. But if we believe that ministry is relegated to a few special people, if we believe that the church is on the decline and there's going to be a great falling away and not a great in gathering simultaneously, if we see the church is dead and dying and going to the dogs and all of that, that's the church we'll be a part of. But if we believe that this gospel is to be preached in all the world as a witness to His name, then we'll be a part of that kind of church. 
Would you please stand right now? Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a fisherman that's got a net. He throws it out into the, the sea, the lake, and he pulls that net in. And when he gathers that net in, he's got all kinds of fish in that net. He doesn't have a hook and a line. He's not targeting a certain species of fish. He just got a net and brings everything in. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that. And it's a picture of the kingdom of God. And the sorting of the fish will happen when you bring the net to shore. And Jesus said at the end of the age, God will separate the good from the bad. Between now and then, when we throw out the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to bring in some people that make it and some that don't. It's going to bring in who knows what. But we cast a wide net. We're not targeting a certain demographic. We believe that whosoever will can come and find a place to be saved in our church and in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. And if you feel any other way about it than that, then I hope my message tonight has helped you. So would you ask the Lord to open your eyes so that you could see what He has for you and your family and our church and that we would have our attitudes aligned to His divine purpose. Amen.